Hi, Housing News listeners. My name's Alcina Lloyd, and I'm the producer of this weekly podcast, which is a proud member of the Industry Syndicate. I'm back again with another bonus episode, which features a crossover recording with the Mortgage Marketing Radio's Jeff Zemper and Housing Mark Hamas' Logan Matashami. In today's crossover episode, the pair discuss why the U.S. housing market is winning in spite of COVID-19 pandemic's economic impact. Notably, a portion of this interview will also air on HousingWire's newest podcast called The Daily Download. For those of you not familiar with The Daily Download, it's a podcast that examines the most compelling articles reported from HousingWire's newsroom each and every day. Currently, the podcast is supported on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. All right, without further ado, let's dive in today's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Mortgage Marketing Live Show. I'm your host, Jeff Zimfer, back from vacation. And today I'm very excited for a very special show with a guest who I'm honored to have on. So without further ado, uh, Logan Matashami, Housing Wire contributor, retired loan officer, data analyst extraordinaire. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Great to be here. Great to have you. Great to have you. Um, seriously, uh, you and I obviously have had some conversations prior to this, and I'm very um, blown away by uh, your uh, knowledge of data and recall. And let me just get check the uh, people watching live here. Mark Gelbin, what's up? High five to you, Mark. Good to see you here. Get ready to put your comments or questions in because we are talking about leading it off with, well, Logan, why don't you do this? Before I start with the first question, I kind of talked about the, I'd love you to give your version of your bio, who you are, uh, what are you all about? Well, I'm a retired loan officer. Our, mm-hmm. uh, our family's had a mortgage company here in Southern California since 1987. And uh, just about a month ago, I, I retired. My father's still working. Our family in general has been in banking since the late 1950s. But about 10 years ago, I started a financial blog. I, I started to talk about housing and, and economics. And every year it kind of just got sharper and, and leaner. And then, you know, I did full blown basically data analyst work. And a lot of people kind of know me for that uh, more than being a loan officer. A lot of people were surprised that I, I, I've been a loan officer all these years. But uh, my job is charts all day, charts all night, total nerd fest. So uh, about economics, housing, everything like that, you know, uh, I'm the kind of the one man stop shop because it's 24 seven all the time. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. And for those that are looking to get better educated and informed on uh, the real story about housing, what impact interest rates or not, I definitely encourage you to follow Logan. We'll give you some of those links uh, before we wrap up here. But um, Logan, let's open it up with uh, you know the, the question I wanted to start with, which is why is the housing market doing so well? We're coming out of a pandemic, right? All these issues, job losses. So let's start with that. Why is the housing market performing so well? Well, in general, economics is demographics and productivity. The rest is kind of stamp collecting. But in housing, it's primarily demographics and mortgage rates. So right now in 2020, which is something I've talked about for eight years now, I thought this 2008 to 2019 housing would have the weakest recovery ever. But by years 2020 to 2024, we're going to have like a little sweet spot for about five years where we have the biggest housing demographic patch ever recorded in history. And for somebody like myself and people who follow my work, I've always believed in lower mortgage rates. So this is kind of it's happening this year. Now, of course, it gets tested by a global pandemic and a virus. And initially everyone thought, well, housing's in a bubble, student loan debt crisis, housing has to go down. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh, no, just wait, right? You know, the virus can cause a lot of damage short term to the economy, but it can't kill off the two things that really drives the housing markets. It's demographics and mortgage rates. 
So once, you know, after the first few weeks when purchase applications were going down to 20, 30% year over year, we started to come back. And now the last seven weeks, we've had double digit positive year over year growth, which is faster now than was before the coronavirus. And before COVID hit, you know, housing, new home sales cycle highs, existing home sales cycle highs, uh, housing starts were up 40% year over year in February. So it looks right to me. I think explaining the story why is really important because it takes these housing crash bubble people off the line. And usually these guys are just fraudulent grifters. And I think that's one of the things I've tried to stress uh, over the last few years. That's a, that's a, is that a term of endearment? Fraudulent grifters? <laughs> yes. Yes. Gold bugs and central bank people. <laughs> love it. Love it. All right. So yeah, give us, give us some of the, the, the data behind this, you know, the story that's not often told in, in normal media about, you know, the housing market. What, what's, why is demographics favorable? You know, for the you said a window for the next what twenty to twenty twenty two twenty four years twenty twenty to twenty twenty four and the reason I the reason I say that is that the biggest age group ever recorded in U.S. history are ages twenty six to thirty two. Mm-hmm. So the first time median home buyer age is thirty three. Yep. So the notion that millennials aren't buying homes or that there's a student loan debt crisis and none of them are this makes no sense. We've had basically roughly six million total home sales for years now. Uh, and, and it's not like Gen X is buying or the baby boomers are buying. It's millennials coming into their prime buying age. And I've always said this, you know, uh, to kind of explain it. People rent, they date, they mate, they marry. Three and a half years after marriage, they have kids. They, they do things a little bit later in life, but they mm. do them. So I, I think there, were, there was a, just a giant Titanic whiff on this millennials don't buy homes and there's a student loan debt crisis, there's an affordability crisis. We had 648 uh, economic crisis events in the last 10 years. uh, And we had the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history. And the only thing that shut this economy down was a global pandemic virus. So I don't believe the hype uh, of the doom and gloom tellers. You know, we've always had groups like this since 1790 in America. The American bears have failed every decade uh, since then. So Follow math, facts, and data. Follow, follow people that believe in economic models. And, and I always ask a bear, what's your economic model for recession? Why is housing going to crash? They're just going to tell you the same thing. Mm. The Fed, the Fed, the Fed, gold, gold, gold. Debt, debt, right. debt. Right. Hasn't worked. So you're saying don't follow that. Follow the demographics. Follow, follow demographics and mortgage rates. Mortgage rates get above 4.5%. Housing slows down. So you know mm-hmm. the people that say, well, mortgage rates are historically low. Well, when, you, when you're working with a certain kind of supply and demand equilibrium, mortgage rates above 4.5% in 2013, 2014 slowed the market. In 2018, it, it slowed the market. Uh, so just remember that the, things aren't, you know, don't use previous models or previous interest rates. Work with what you have right now. And, and be careful of the doom and gloom housing crowd. You know, they're, they're, mm. that's kind of how they make their living. And it's just hasn't happened. And this year is a prime example of that demographics and mortgage rates matter more. Yeah. So you said mortgage rates, when they get to about four and a half percent, can slow uh, the housing can market. Slow, yeah. Yeah. They can Which, slow the housing market. They can't collapse the market, but it right. definitely does slow the market. So I always tell people when the 10 year yield gets above 2.62%, be mindful of that. You know, some people go, oh, don't worry that historically these are low yields. No, there are, there are levels, especially in hot coastal areas uh, where uh, a demand gets, demand slows down and supply does increase. Um, so, you know, for those of us that have a long view of history, knowing that, I mean, my perspective is four and a half percent is still very cheap money. 
right? In terms of comparatively what interest rates were back in the 80s and all that when we had inflation, right? We had double digit interest rates. Do you foresee, uh, because to, to, to your point about, let's look at the models for currently where we are in the world. I mean, do you foresee any situation where we would get back to that situation of double digits? If I see 6% mortgage rates ever in my life, and I'm 44, mm. I will be shocked, <laughs> shocked beyond belief. Really? I mean, we, we must have done some kind of massive government stimulus spending plan to get growth back to those levels. Because what, uh, you know, since 1981, if you look at the chart of the 10 year yield, it's been going down every single right. cycle. It's never broken that downtrend. And it shouldn't because the world is older. We're an older country. Demographics and technology are deflationary. Population growth is slowing down. We're not going to get the kind of the the growth rates or the inflation rates that people are are, are, are thinking that would go inside with high mortgage rates. So um, and the United States dollar is the reserve currency of the world. It just gets too strong in, in bad times. So no, I mean, I would honestly be shocked if I saw 6% mortgage rates in my lifetime. So do you have any concerns with, you know, Fed buying mortgage backed securities, right? And, and as we hear the term keeping rates artificially low? No, uh, artificially low is 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 one of these uh, gold bug grifting uh, tactics that they've used forever. So it's just it's just not. I mean, if you think about it, mortgage rates and interest rates have been falling for decades, and this is yeah. the Fed started the QE in 2010. So the QE actually ended in 2014, and actually yields rise right after that. So it, it again, it, ignore people that use Fed, gold, and inflation. If you take those three, if you just ignore people that use those three, then you're going to be okay. But when you start to say the Fed that keeps artificial rates, these are all marketing gimmicks, fear, yeah. fear, doom and gloom. And so, uh, and they failed really. I mean, the, yeah. we just had the longest expansion ever in history. And if it wasn't for this virus, we'd still be moving along. Hmm. Um, so you mentioned a moment ago about we don't have a, a student loan debt crisis, and you've shared some specific data around why that is. And I think that goes into your, your point about perception and media. Let's talk about some real facts when it comes to student loan debt crisis. Break that down. So when people talk about student loan debt crisis, that Americans can't buy homes because they have too much student loan debt, what they don't show is actually they break down the data. And when you break down the data, you see that like 72% of the people that have student loan debt are actually under 17,000. Uh, the people that have a lot of stress with their student loan debt are mostly college dropouts. And then the balance is roughly 10,000. So you're talking about people that never finished college and don't have, you know, when you finish college, you have debt, but you have the income capacity usually with that debt. That's why college educated Americans make more money than everyone else. That's why college educated uh, Americans actually have more financial assets. So you, when you break down the data, the people that go to school, that finish school, that go to work right away, that have very low unemployment rates, they're okay. But if you talk about people that took on debt that never finished school, even though the debt size isn't that big, that's where the stress is. So it's not like baby boomers are buying all these homes or Gen X are buying these homes. It's millennials that are coming into their kind of first time home, home buyer age and then they go to college. So, I mean, you can make a case that some of these people just can't buy bigger homes because the debt payments or the debt balance is too much. But the notion that student loan debt crisis was here when we just had the longest job expansion, longest economic expansion, and now housing is the single most outperforming uh, economic sector in the world mm -hmm. shows that something was really wrong with that thesis. And that's something I've been talking about for many years now. So uh, how about the job loss situation, right? Wh whatever that number was, I'm sure you know it better than I, 40 some odd million. Uh, what's the impact? Yeah, there? well, well, here's the thing. You, we have, 
jobless claims are running about over 40 million if you combine them. Uh, continuing claims are a little bit over 18 million. But one of the things that if you looked at the job losses, a lot of these are tied to what I call renter households and, and people that are future renters. And um, immediately the doom and gloom people said, oh, look at these major job losses. It doesn't impact homeowners as much. But I think what, what we see a lot is, especially on Twitter finance or on financial media, labor economists and economists in general focus on the unemployed people. But they never talk about that there's 138 million people still working, right? right? So if, if people go, how could housing have double digit? There's 138 million people working. And the key is the, more, the housing market just needs 4 million mortgage buyers per year to keep demand stable. And this yeah. is why 2020, as soon as, we, as soon as you got this fear out of this virus, out of we just go back to, because it's not like the car, car sales market where you need 17 or 18 million to create new highs. You need 4 million mortgage buyers per year. And then you, know, you, you still have a very high level of cash buyers in the market. And that's how you keep uh, sales demand stable. And that's why you don't see this parabolic spike in inventory. And even with the forbearance plan, it, mm. it, it, it's still people are, homeowners now are in much better spot than they were in 2003 to 2008, where it was a credit bubble. And we did not have a credit consumer bubble going into this crisis. So if we had a time in history where a global pandemic uh, occurs, this is not a bad time to have it because we have a lot of fiscal space. We can borrow a lot of money. We can help people. Interest rates are low, inflation is low, but the demographics are favorable. And this is one of the reasons why you see some of these data just sharply rebound up. Once you get this virus out of the system, game is on again. Hmm. Right. And we go back to, you know, uh, some of the uh, old school thinking of what's going to create a recession that never happened. So when you say game back on again, once we get out of this virus, I mean, you and I both know the mortgage industry is incredibly hot right now. The housing industry is on fire. W what does that mean? Does that mean it's going to get even busier? Well, I, I, one of the things that people are going to have to realize that once we got the sharp rebound uh, in purchase applications, yeah. and then we're going to flatten out because we're we're at cycle highs. I mean, yeah. pre-cycle highs. We're already showing double-digit growth. We're we're already here, right? We're the only sector that is actually for eight weeks have been uh, showing double-digit growth right now. So uh, at, at that point, it becomes basically a traditional or a, what I call as Act Four Housing 2020. You know, so it's not like, you know, we're going to be working from a very low level for a long time. We already had the V-shaped recovery. It already happened. So you're not, you know, we were looking at probably 6.4 million total home sales uh -huh. before, you know, this crisis hit. So you just want existing home sales to kind of be above 4.6 million. The new home sales market yesterday, the new home sales purchase applications were showing 54% year over year growth. You get 700,000 right there. It's a stable marketplace. Right. And then we got to deal with the virus and then what's going to happen in 2021. But for right now, the, the, it's pretty much done. We, the legwork is done. All we need to see is flat to positive purchase application year over year data for the rest of the year. Housing should be okay because we already did the V-shape recovery already. Interesting. So we came in and out of this, the, the rebound from the pandemic pretty quickly? After three weeks. Yeah. The purchase application data started to show its recovery. That's, That's because all social distancing was rolled back. People could go out, could go out and look at homes again. Well, they could look, they could look at a house, but in general, you know, people were still buying and selling homes across sure. the country. You know, every right. state, every state kind of had their own kind of lockdowns, but right. you know, technology and productivity and everything, you know, the, the, the world has changed so much that you could still do deals. Right. But I, th I think the big thing is that, and what I try to tell people credit still flowed. 
and and that's that's the most important thing in in, mm. in economic cycles for America. Uh, we had a mortgage market meltdown in March 9th. You know, rates did go up. Some of the non-QM lenders were gone. Low FICO yeah. score, FHA, jumbo markets. But that's, I, I always talk about it. That's about 4.5 to 6.2% of the marketplace. Freddie and Fannie, because they are not publicly traded companies and, and uh, uh, out of uh, government conservatorship, were able to keep the market flowing. And this is why I'm a big advocate. Let these two giants stay with the government because if they were mm -hmm. publicly traded companies, our stocks would have gone down, yep. credit would have tightened. We we would have not had this V-shaped recovery. You wouldn't have seen the forbearance plans because the government has the ability to take losses on their books. Mm. It, it, these two things, these two giants should not be publicly traded because we probably would have had to do congressional hearings, get them back into conservatorship. We would have wasted a lot of times with no. After three weeks, you could kind of see purchase application decline stop. We started to slowly get back up. In the last eight weeks, we're positive. The last seven weeks are actually showing double-digit year-over-year growth. And we still have a virus out here, and we're now seeing more states do more lockdown protocols and taking some of the reopenings back. So, the, you know, what we're going through right now with the, with the uh, you know, uh, the, the housing price increase, the, the uh, appetite, right, the activity levels, you know, I, and of course, people tend to look back to 2008 and all that kind of stuff. And I know this isn't the same thing, so I'm not, you know, delusional to think that. But what about, I mean, where is the end for housing prices? Like you and I have talked before, SoCal, California, coastal cities and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's outrageous at some point, right? Doesn't, yeah. you know what I'm saying? The market here's, correction? He, here's the thing. Last year, the housing market was like a Van Gogh and a Monet put together. Nobody realized it. What happened was that mortgage rates had gone up. Uh, the start of the year, inventory increased year over year, just slightly, nothing dramatic. Mm -hmm. Demand was down slightly. The rate of growth of home prices actually went negative when you adjusted to inflation, the equivalence of rent. I thought that was the one of the best things we could ever see. I'm a big believer that real home prices, if they stay negative, is good for housing long term because we're getting to the point. If you look at per capita income and home prices, we're kind of right there where you know it's almost connected right now. During the housing bubble years, home prices just blew well well above uh, per per capita income. So. And it was a credit bubble, but we're talking about three years, really, 2002 to 2005. Real home prices were uh, double digits. We only had that one year in, in the previous expansion. That was 2013. And what happened in 2013? Mortgage rates just got to four and a quarter, four and a half. That yeah. rate of growth slowed down dramatically. So uh, it, if you look at a home prices on a year-over-year -year basis, look at it adjusting to inflation, what we saw from 2012 to 2020 looks nothing like what we saw from 2002 to 2005. So uh, my fear always in mm. years 2020 to 2024 was that home prices would escalate higher too much. Now, mm. I think the virus has calmed that down. So I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put kind of a, let's worry about that if it gets there. But because you have this massive demographic patch and then you have low interest rates and housing tenure, I think that's the story. If you, if you had one main story about housing in the last 10 years, people are just staying in their homes longer and longer. Right. which means that the, some of the supply uh, uh, that you would normally see, people just don't need to move. It's right. not like they're locked down on mortgages, but they just don't need to move. We've had bigger and bigger homes for many decades. People just stay put. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that could, could you know, get to really hot home prices. But I think for now, uh, it'll be okay because the, the virus has impacted demand to a degree. And you know, uh, uh, if we saw real home prices going back 5 6 uh, 7%, 
not a good sign, you know. And initially, when we started off the year, hold prices, especially the NAR data, was way too hot, but it's kind of come back down. So we're in a good spot right here. Mm, interesting. So, so far, income wages is keeping up then with home prices. We're, yeah, we're at the point to where, you know, if, if home prices still, you know, outpace uh, per capita income, we're, we're at troubles. But for, for the longest time, you know, per capita income was actually above how, uh, home prices. No, not a lot of people know that because it takes the doom and gloom story away. And this is one of the reasons why we had the longest job expansion, longest economic expansion. We've got 6 million total home sales, new and existing homes, mortgage purchase applications have been rising since 2014. And now we've got the demographic patch, the one time in history right here where we have low rates and the biggest housing demographic patch ever. All right. So put your loan officer cap on for a moment um, and, and, and harken back to maybe some of the comments or questions you've heard from consumers over the years, knowing our, our audience is mostly loan originators. Um, throw a couple of comments at you. Well, I'm just waiting for the housing market to come down. <laughs> well, yeah, you're a you loan know, officer. One, what uh, do you say to that? Yeah. Well, it's the number one question I get. You yeah. know, from real estate agents. How do I explain to my, you know, uh, clients that you know housing is in a bubble? And I actually have. I I always use the the Case Shiller year over year real home price growth, and you can kind of see there's nothing here. There's nothing like what we saw in 2002 to 2003. And a good point, a good reference, uh, what I tell real estate agents and loan officers, we had 7.26 million existing home sales at the peak in 2005. We had a million new homes. That's a credit bubble, right? Yeah. Non-owning capacity dead. We just had the weakest housing recovery ever. I'm talking about new home sales and housing starts. So there isn't this big demand. And I think this is, this is what happened in 2020. You we're not working from such an elevated level that sales are just going to collapse and inventories is going to go up. So kind of use those metrics. And that's been right. That's been right for the last eight years. The people that are talking about prices have to come down. Uh, it's a bubble. It's going to crash. They've been wrong because they don't have any economic models. They just simply say the Federal Reserve has kept interest rates all you know low and you know mm -hmm. rates are going to go up inflation. Wrong. Four decades have been wrong uh, out here. And, and I'm not I'm not even talking about just the gold bond. Economists and housing economists, everybody has been wrong for four decades because all they need to do is look at the chart. There was never any time that we kind of broke that downtrend going up. So yeah. I tell people, I don't, I you most likely see one, I one handle on mortgage rates before you see six uh, handle on mortgage rates. Yeah. So I was just going to ask you, you know, I talked the other day is you, um, you, you, you are bullish on rates going even lower than they currently are. Well, mortgage rates should be lower right now than what they are. The, the business of doing mortgages and rates just went haywire and you know we had margin calls we had early payoffs mm -hmm. you had basically 90 percent of production in, in america basically at risk for an early payoff there's no way they're going to let that go down so i would i'm, I'm curious to see where mortgage rates are going to go after september because after september that six months epo payment so it's pretty much gone you might see a little bit of loosening in mortgage rates even if the 10-year yield stays right here and kind of before, before we had this big collapse in, in bond yields, I talked about my recessionary yields are about uh, negative 21 basis points. Yes, negative on the 10-year and 62 basis points. That's where I think the 10-year yield should be. The fact that a 10-year yield just refuses to go below 62 basis points shows me that the bond market, the stock market, the markets are saying that credit stress has been relieved. You know, once you get through this virus, the U.S. economy is coming back to some of the data. You kind of see that right now. But 
after September, maybe rates come down a half a percent a quarter. Uh, but, you know, I could go as low as 1.875 on the 30 year uh, based on just those that negative 10 year yield forecast. After that, I think that's done. And I'm talking that that might be a very brief amount of time. So we're kind of almost toward the end. Just remember that every housing cycle is at 2% plus lower mortgage rates uh, with duration to expand it. For that to happen again, you need about a one and a quarter to two and a quarter 30 year fix for about five or six years. Most likely that's not going to be the case uh, just because the business of doing loans is just going to be worth it and money is just not going to flow there. No matter how much the Fed presses it, it's just probably not going to see that. So we're entering a new era in terms of you don't need mortgage rates to go back to five to six percent. If they stop going lower like they have, it's going to be a little bit different. So that's why home prices going out in the future is going to be a little bit different than what we saw just because we're not working from a bubble crash anymore. And the the chances of mortgage rates dropping another uh, two percent staying there is, is very unlikely. Wow. So uh, very positive news uh, for those that are in the real estate mortgage business over the next four or five years. Yeah, for purchases, it is for for refinances. I think we, we just took another wave of supply off. Uh, uh, and it's unless you get unless the economy goes into a double dip recession, uh, uh, that supply refinances are, are, are going off. But then it, even when the 10 year yields rise, so I think 1.94 percent might be the high point for for some time. You're creating more supply again, and we just go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that's kind of what happened uh, in 2017 and 2018 when the 10-year yield was higher. You, you created more supply for refinances, and then right away when the 10-year yield goes back down, that's your refinance supply. But, but purchase applications, housing demand should, should be okay mm. in, in this period. I, I've always talked about this period that you have great replacement buyers, but if the first-time owner is moving up, then you have an, an extra layer of demand. And I think that's what we saw in 2020, in the first two months, you saw that extra layer of demand, and then even for myself, uh, home sales were 300,000 above where I thought would where they would be. So th their demand is there, right? You know, as long as mortgage rates stay below four and a half percent, it should be okay. Just because the massive demographic patch and the first-time owner is actually in a much better spot than what they were from 2003 to 2008. Hmm, very cool. Well, look, in closing out, I want to spend just a couple of minutes on talking about data and how to leverage data to, you know, uh, increase your influence, grow your brand. You obviously uh, are, are passionate about data, but if you share just a couple of uh, points for those loan officers watching, because, I mean, you, you've been around long enough to know this isn't the first time that, uh, you know, you've heard somebody say um, you've got to, in, to, in this market, right, you've got to really position yourself as an authority, right, to understand, like you say, what moves mortgage rates, what's really going on with the housing market um how can we how can loan officers be better at equip, equipping themselves to understand data so they can have more intelligent conversations yeah americans are two different things copy and paste people which are a lot of people they um we we got that game down we yeah. we like to copy and paste stuff all the time on social media that's our that's our pastime mm. anybody could do that but if you want to learn about why mortgage rates are, are low why the housing market is holding up, then you, you become yourself, you know, uh, mm. uh, somebody of authority. And then you can draw more people towards you because, because if you're trying to sell doom and gloom, you're just, you're just another kind of boy band troll that's been here since 1790 talking trash about America all the way until you die. Okay, we've got, we've got millions of those. Yeah. But if you want to up your game, learn why, find out why something is happening. Because anybody could just copy and paste stuff and put it around everywhere, you know, 
and, and doom and gloom cells. Find out why. So people could come to you, they could trust you. Right? If, if, as soon as people trust you and they think, you know what, then you could go into your kind of talking about your, your business and, and, and why people should go to you. But use this, use this time in history when information is so available and right. learn why. Because once you get that trust, and then that word goes out, you know, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's not you know, selling and, you know, uh, doom and gloom or he's not trying to get you to use his website. Learn, find out the why for something and be better than the 99 percent who just copy and paste out there. A hundred percent. Amen. And it's really reminds me of my friend, you know, Dave Savage, who uh, coined a phrase, I believe, you know, uh, to have more uh, advice versus price conversations with your clients. Yeah. And in order to do that, you have to be informed. So I want to give a shout out to a couple of resources. First and foremost, let me show this on the screen here is your website. Uh, people should, and I put it here in the, the comments as well. People should number one, go there and subscribe because that's an incredible place, a learning place to, to better understand what moves markets, what's going on, right. With somebody of your, uh, you know, broad, uh, understanding of all that. So, um, loganmadashami.com. And then also, of course, let's not forget to mention HousingWire. You are an analyst for HousingWire. And so anybody, I think, listening to this live on the replay on the audio, if you're not a subscriber to HousingWire, particularly their Pulse um, and other tools and resources they have there, you just should definitely subscribe to HousingWire because I get the emails every day, right? The updates and notifications. And it's just, we've got to be better educated, I think, as a profession. Um, because, you know, people often come to me for like the sales and marketing stuff, right? Scripting or, hey, how do I deal with rate shoppers and this? How you deal with them is you be more informed, be more educated and demonstrate that for people. You will win trust mm -hmm. and influence by doing that. Absolutely. So and and, and for, for everyone, just if, if you just Google my name, my Facebook page is open to the public. My Instagram, I do Insta stories. It, it, it's 24-7 nerd live all the time okay <laughs> I, I don't sell anything I the name of your show 24 7 nerd. yeah I, yeah I, i'm just there's my blog is free there's no advertising no nothing uh, my job is to teach yeah. and this is my the ex high school basketball coach in me right here my job is to teach you why uh, something is happening I, I i don't care about the price or how to get to somewhere i want you to understand that you know how, why is something happening and that's the most important part because then that means you got the knowledge yourself and then you could pass that on instead of copying and pasting doom and gloom sites and then right you know on. sharing that off. Right on. So once again, uh, we want to thank Logan and uh, Housing Wire for teaming up on this. More good stuff to come as a collaboration between us and Housing Wire. So Logan, once again, man, the, the, an amazing the audience. The audience went wild. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Housing News Podcast. And if you like what you heard, please don't forget to give us feedback and write us on iTunes. Also, make sure to check out HousingWire's latest podcast, The Daily Download, which is a daily wrap of HousingWire's hottest stories, now available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thank you.